Unencumbered by political correctness, undeterred in her mission to spread the truth, unafraid to be a true conservative, she's unapologetic, uncompromising, unwavering, and an undeniably powerful voice when we need it most. This is Rose Unplugged. This episode of Rose Unplugged is brought to you by MyPillow and Mike Lindau. Now, they want to thank everybody for all of your support. And to thank you, since they have an overstock, they're doing a clearance and new product sale right now for the best prices ever when you use promo code ROSE. You get free shipping. It doesn't even matter how large the item is. Free shipping on your entire order. 50% off of the MyPillow, 50% off brand new flannel sheets, six-pack towel sets, only $29.98. You know what? There's just so much on it. You just have to go there and look at it yourself. I love their dog beds, and so does my dog, Tucker. So to get the best specials ever, go to MyPillow.com and use the promo code ROSE. Free shipping on the entire order. MyPillow.com, promo code ROSE. And I really do appreciate your support. It helps me keep this podcast going. Joining me today on this episode of Rose Unplugged is the author of the book, Fauci's Fiction. Dr. Schwartz owns and operates three medical clinics in both New Jersey and Florida. His company was one of the first in New Jersey to start conducting COVID-19 testing. He's a former police officer and he performs stand-up comedy. He's been doing it since his early 20s. I love that. Dr. Schwartz founded the charity Hometown Heroes. I'm sure you've heard of it in 2008, and it's credited with distributing over $3 million in funds to those less fortunate. And listen, Dr. Schwartz, I just have to say thank you for what you did. Thank you for this book, Fauci's Fiction. I know that you have been gathering data on COVID that no one has even asked to see. And you incorporated that from antibodies and vaccines to paint an honest picture of what COVID-19 looks like. Thank you for that work in examining all of that data over 19,000 patients. 19,000 patients. You think about the way they disrupted our lives for almost three years, really. really. I mean, not just here, but the world nonetheless. Uh, you think we'd want to have this conversation and get to the bottom of it. Uh, the data that we saw early on just didn't match what they saw. There's so much. I mean, we have data on antibodies. We have data, data on natural immunity versus uh, vaccine immunity. Uh, and I hate to even call it immunity. There's 120-day antibody response you get from the shots. Let's stop calling them vaccines. It's kind of inappropriate to do so. You confuse the older population. There's so much to uncover. But the basics, right from the start, I mean, the fact that we're speaking a different language when it comes to, you know, I always, I always make a point that people still don't know the difference between isolation and quarantine. And that might sound like semantics, but when you're facing the most deadliest thing known to man, as they portrayed it, you think they'd want everyone to have the most basic of facts to understand how testing works, how masks really work, you know, how long a virus stays in your system. There's a lot to COVID that you've never been told. And uh, I think it's important that we get on the same page so that this never happens again. All right. Now you've, you've piqued my curiosity. Let's talk about isolation versus quarantine. And do you well, remember it's, it's, the, the pictures of those people in China on their balconies and they would bring their refrigerator out and leave the door open to show you that they had no food, but they couldn't leave their right. complexes? Do you remember that? I do. do, you call I that, do. And we pointed to it. Do you call that isolation pointed- or quarantine? 
No, it's simple. And, and I make the point and I, I make that point because nobody understands. And that's why I'm saying and it's not a, it's not a you know reflection on you or anybody else. This is a reflection on the government, Dr. Fauci, Dr. Burks, Miss Walensky, everybody, because everyone should know the very basics. Isolation is when you are uh, when you when you are, are, are you have something right. So you isolate quarantine. I always say to my patients, what did the astronauts do when they came back from the moon? They quarantined in case they were exposed to something that they didn't know and it would exhibit itself later. And it sounds stupid. Right. But these basics. I mean, still to this day, we're over four years into this and we don't know the difference. So people I call to tell them that they're positive, they say, well, do I need to quarantine? I said, no, you need to isolate. And it's important you know the difference. It's important that, you know, when I ask people, do you know how long a virus stays in your system? It's 14 days, by the way. Do you know what the incubation period is of a virus? It's three to five days. That stuff's important. You know, some people will come to my office and retest and there's no need to retest. I always say to them, do you go back to the doctor when you have the flu to ask if you're over the flu? The virus is out of your system in 14 days. These people who want to continue to test, it's, it's it's ridiculously stupid and they still do it today. They were never explained the basics of COVID. They never understood that most people that, do you know what the most common symptom of COVID is, Rose? It's a headache. And really? most people don't know that when yeah, when they're expecting to get a cough, a fever, a shortness of breath, that's for folks who have a very high viral load, who might have a co-infection. The majority of folks who were sick with COVID had a co-infection, and you would only know that if you were doing proper testing with a respiratory pathogen panel. So we have data that supersedes any clinic in the United States. We probably are the only one that has as much horizontal data uh, you know, in the United States, and that really can, can, can show you trends and paint pictures and really give you an understanding of COVID. We were, we were fooled uh, by the, you know, the, the TV and the media and the government who was, you know, coming out here and telling us this was the, you know, everyone was going to die from this thing. I mean, look, I've had COVID four times and while it's never fun to get sick, uh, you know, COVID did not put me in the hospital. It didn't knock me out for more than four days at a time for the, for the most part. Um, people need to understand this stuff. It is so important that we get on the same page. There's so many things I want to ask you, but I do want to share an anecdote with you. In, in 2022, I got hit with COVID in February. I got it from my husband who works in the healthcare field and he had no symptoms at all. So he's like, oh, you'll be fine. I don't want anything. You know, we weren't even thinking, we know. I, I made it through two years already. I thought, yeah, you're right. Don't worry about it. So I was so sick. I never left my bed. I never opened the, the bl- I have blackout blinds because I don't want to, I don't want anything waking me up when I'm sleeping. So <laughs> sure. I never opened those blinds. I never got out of bed and it went on for maybe a week. I was sick. I actually did. And this is a, so I've got a question coming at the end of this too questions. So I I was sick, very sick for a little over a week. Now, fast forward August this year, 2023, this past year, 2023, our father passed away. I was in Florida taking care of him, sharing, you know, those responsibilities with his sister back and forth. We are, we know he's dying last couple of days. We're crying over him. We're sobbing. All of our stuff is coming out on his cheek and we're kissing his cheek, the same cheek that she just kissed. We're going home and commiserating over wine and sharing a bag of potato chips, right? And I, she, but she was sick and I knew she was sick, but I didn't care. My dad's dying. I'm still going to kiss that cheek and, you know, but here's the thing. And then we drove his car back as he was being flown back to Pittsburgh. We drove his car up here. I was in a car two days in a row with her, eight hours, windows up, and she's coughing and she's sneezing and she's got stuff going on. And I'm like, I think you got COVID. I think you've got COVID. She never had COVID. And so we get back to my place. I happened to have some tests at my home. I tested her. She was positive. After all of that time with her, two years after I had already had COVID, I got nothing. 
not a not a sniffle, not a headache, not anything. Mm-hmm. I sw- and I never got the vaccine. I might as well make that clear right now. I sure. never got the vaccine. I think that my immunity, tell me if I'm wrong, was that strong after having had it. Is that possible that almost two years later, well, a year and a half there, later? There's a there's a lot to unpack here. Okay. okay? <laughs> so, and if you under and if you, and, and I implore you to read my book and not not as a you know as a marketing point, no, but you I kind of understand this at this point. Fauci's well, fiction, by the way. A, Fauci's fiction. Fauci's fiction. Okay. You, you tested yourself on a rapid test. I'm guessing. Yes, right? right. A home test. Well, well, you might as well throw those things out. You need <laughs> ten to the sixth to ten to the ninth power of virus that you do on a PCR test to tell me that you actually have it in your system. So what does that mean on a on a PCR test, I only need nine copies at level 36 versus a rapid antigen test. I need between 9 million and 9 billion to turn that card loose. So if you have a very low viral load, which you probably did, um, you would not have symptoms. And when you test, and this is the thing, when you test, when you do 44,000 tests on over 19,000 patients, the the myopic view that someone has, and someone always comes to me with a myopic view of this is what happened to me, or this is what happened to my grandmother. You get a very different perspective when you have 19,000 patients. It really paints the picture for you. Good point. So you should throw, throw those rapid tests out. You probably did catch it again, because natural immunity, natural antibody immunity from COVID only lasts about 120 days. Oh, However, wow. When you, when, you, when you get COVID naturally, you get what's called B and T lymphocytes. That's your memory response. That means every time you get it, you're going to get it less and less because you're not responding to the 27 proteins inside the capsule of the virus. You're only responding to the change in the spike protein. The odds that you had it being around someone who had it is almost 100%. Uh, and I don't mean like in, in a short you know, period, but if you're around somebody that long, and I'll give you the data out of the 441 homes that we did before when you were all locked down. I had yes. 441 homes that we did. If someone in the home was symptomatic, 100 percent of the time, everybody in the house had it. However, between 85 and 90 percent of those people were asymptomatic or mild. And it de- depends on how you define mild, because most people expect to get sniffles or cough or shortness of breath. Again, the most common symptom of COVID is a headache, and it has to do with hemoglobin uptake issues. There's a lot to unpack with, yes. you know, with, your, with your story. Fascinating. But putting it into perspective really okay. helps. Okay, I like that. Hey, what do you think about monoclonal antibodies? Now I'm just asking for myself, but I did get those when I had COVID. Don't be afraid to tell me the truth. Was that a bad idea or a good idea? Because I noticed in Florida, you could get them anywhere. Here in Pennsylvania, they restricted the your opportunity to receive those. Yeah, and I don't agree with uh, what Wolf or Murphy or uh, Cuomo did in those states. I have clinics in New Jersey. I have another one in Florida. It's uh, doctors should always have the right to try whether it's monoclonal antibodies or ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine. I mean, they they should always have a right to try something. Whether they work is a different story. A lot of people who would get these things would tell me that they felt better in two or three days. Well, guess what? Out of all of our 4,000 plus positives, we only use one regimen. It was vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc, and electrolytes. And they wow. all felt better within two to three days. It was the same number. So I, I wonder about the placebo effect in a lot of these patients, but you also have to know what you're treating. You have to do a respiratory pathogen panel. There's 31 things on it. And a lot of the folks who were sick had a co-infection. Usually it was a staph infection, to put it in perspective. I had a guy a couple of years ago who came back positive with COVID, staph, H flu, and RSV all mm. at the same time. 
Imagine if this guy went to the Walgreens and got a home test and said, oh, COVID is the worst thing in the world. No, he was sick from the H flu and the RSV. Oh. You have to know what you're treating. So it is very important, but we have all that data on all of our patients. We have we have a respiratory pathogen panel data. We have uh, viral load data. So I know co-infection viral load on every single patient. It really paints a different picture. People, again, this is the problem, right? We knew all this stuff a couple months into testing. But here we are four years later, and the general public doesn't have a clue because it was never told to them. So not, only, <laughs> yeah. well, not only that, but we had America's doctor, Dr. Fauci, and there were no other doctors. And I remember talking to doctors at the time, and they're like, why can't we have a panel of doctors? Why aren't we all looking into this and working together? Oh, no, they didn't have that, Dr. Schwartz. And that's pretty much what you're talking about. Why didn't they go to Dr. Schwartz and say, look, this guy really has the data. Let's take a look at it and see what, it's, what it tells us. They didn't do well, it. I guess it's a little different. It's different for me, right? I'm a research doctor, not a medical Right, okay, so but still have you staff. have got the medical data, right? Well, that, that's my point. I think they should have talked to those of us who were analysts to actually look at the data versus, you know, most physicians were getting their directives from the CDC. So the CDC said, CDC said, hey, it's a great idea to give somebody who's over 65 with comorbidities a shot. They would go along with that. That's the last person I would give a shot to because it inflames area of instability. So when you have somebody who's, who's susceptible to dying, if you're going to die in the next five years, a cold can bring you down, a flu can bring you down, COVID can bring you down. Now, these shots, which act like a flu shot, are only giving you 120-day antibody response. However, they're inflaming areas of instability. So you have a patient who's susceptible. Sometimes those shots, a lot of times those shots make it worse, which is why you're now seeing data come back from people who are having issues with joints, uh, heart, uh, clotting. I mean, there's a multi-cancer, there's a multitude of issues from these shots that we're not talking about yet. And of course, the media will take another couple of years to catch up to us on that as well. You know, okay, so this all begs the question, why? Did they really miss the boat? Did they suspect there could be more to this, but they didn't, it didn't fit their agenda? I, I don't understand. Why were they so in a rush to, to instill the fear that they did in us, to fool us in a sense or manipulate us, when in fact they could have easily talked to people like yourself and others who could give them more reliable information? I don't understand. Was well, this intentional? That's what? a 60... 60- it, it's a $64,000 question, right? And I don't write about that in the book. I stay away from conspiratorial theories. Right. But of course it makes you think. And if you ask me personally, sure. I don't write about it in the book because it taints it, right? It taints the data. The data speaks for itself. So when you look at the data and you see what we saw in our perspective, it makes you ask those questions, of course. And when you look back at the time we were in and you see we were in an election, if you ask me personally, did they did they extort this to, uh, to try to control an election? Yeah, most likely. Uh, was there money involved? There's another avenue we could talk about. You know, that, that question hasn't been answered. Where did this virus come from? Was it gain of function? Uh, you know, we, we had evidence and there's a lot of circumstantial evidence that pointed to a lab leak theory, yet the government was trying to tell you it was zoonotic the whole time. Yes. Look the other way, right? right. So, so when you when you put all that together, does it tell you there's something nefarious going on? Absolutely. Whether it was done intentionally or used uh, purposely, even even if it was just used purposely, uh, once it came out of Wuhan, I mean that that is intentional uh, to speak. And and of course, if you're if you're leaving stuff out to the public and not telling them certain things, that's the same as lying. So uh, we need to hold those accountable who are culpable for this mess. Okay, but how? So how do we go forward? Because you know something like this could possibly 
happen again. There are some people out there, there are the conspiracy theorists that say, oh, this is going to definitely happen again. But others are thinking it's possible, whether you're a conspiracy theorist or not, that something like this could happen again. This was handled so improperly. How do, how do we be sure that it's handled better in the future, Dr. Schwartz? Well, I'll tell you what, uh, Rose, it's uh, when I, I read in the last chapter of the book, I, I, I posed the question, have we learned anything? And the more I talk to people every day, even beyond this, uh, the answer is no, we haven't learned anything. We did. Well, and if we yeah, all discuss the data that we had, we can <laughs> well, we could get to the bottom of it pretty quickly. But there are so many people, like I said, who have COVID fatigue. I just want to get on with my life. I don't want to talk about it anymore. It was a rough time. Well, well, wait a minute here. You know, your kids were out of school. Like I said, suicide rates, the businesses that we shuttered, the lives that we destroyed. Why are we talking about this? That the Americans have a short-term memory. Uh, right. so, and that's just human human nature. We're on to everything else, you know, whether it's Gaza and Israel or Ukraine and Russia. And that's all well and good. That needs to be handled as well. But, I mean, this was very – this was huge. Uh, three years of our lives, uh, you know, and, and look, if, if this were to come again, I think we would handle it the exact same way, unfortunately. There would be guys like me screaming from the top of the rooftops, but we get censored every day. You saw the uh, news report, Jim Jordan's um, the Judiciary Committee just uncovered emails from the White House saying Amazon censored books on COVID and vaccines. Yes, yes. Well, guess what? My, my book's one of them. I've gotten three letters no. back from Amazon saying that, yep, I can't promote my book due to what they say is current events. So somebody out there does not want you to hear what we have to say. And until we all get on the same page, we are just as susceptible to this happening uh, again as we were the last time around. Okay, so where do we get this book? But I do have a few more questions for you, but let's talk about the book for just a moment again. Fauci's Fiction, where where can we find this book? Easiest places on Amazon. If you type it all in, Fauci's Fiction, it will come up for you. Uh, that is the easiest place to get it. It is available everywhere books are sold, but you do have to search for it. Uh, they do suppress interviews like this that we're doing. And that is uh, that is heartbreaking because we put a lot of work into this to get the truth out to folks. Well, I'll have yours on some big platform, so don't worry about it. <laughs> We're going to make sure we take care of that. But, you know, what? I have to bring this up because I know that the book isn't entirely about Fauci, but but it's about the fiction that we were told we were taught and experienced. And without them looking towards those areas that they could have received truth from and they and they rejected it. When I when I saw that and I had talked about this before, by the way, Dr. Kennedy wrote his book, but I, I had shared because I was I was just getting into journalism at the time and it was in the I God, I can't even remember how long ago it was. But it was written by Larry Kramer. I'm sure you're aware of what I'm going to talk about. Act Up San Francisco. He had an open letter written to Dr. Anthony Fauci. Now, it was in the San Francisco Examiner. Here it is in June 1988. But one of the things, a couple of the things he said, and I just want to talk about this because it relates exactly to what you were talking about. In this letter, Larry Kramer said, you are responsible, Fauci, for all government-funded AIDS treatment research. In the name of right, you make decisions that cost the lives of others. I call the decisions you're making acts of murder. But what's interesting is that as he went on, he talked about how he was in cahoots with the drug company, Dr. Fauci. I mean, Dr. Fauci was a huge bust when it came to AIDS and what was and, and the research that was being done and the immunities. And one of the other things, too, that Larry Kramer wrote about, and you actually mentioned, is he asked the question in this open letter to Dr. Fauci, how long will it take you to start focusing on the immune system, how to boost it, and how to prevent the opportunistic infections that are killing people with AIDS. 
Because earlier on in this conversation, you mentioned that one of the th- a couple of the things that you found to be most effective was vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc, electrolytes. So even back then, 1988, they were calling Dr. Fauci out on his lies and his misrepresentation and his misuse, I guess, of government funds and his, his relationship with pharmaceuticals. Well, it's funny you say that. Last night during the Super Bowl, I saw a commercial for Paxlovid, and we looked at each other. My wife and I looked at each other and kind of laughed because we stopped using it over two years ago. But yet they're still pushing these pharmaceuticals that don't work. I mean, Dr. Fauci got a rebound effect when he took it. Uh, when you look at the stock price of Moderna, uh, Moderna uh, went from $35 to $400. There's a money yes. trail to be, you know, led down the road here too. Um, but we didn't use we didn't use these things. I mean, we found very basic treatments from the very get-go. I had a great uh, pulmonologist NP who came up with the protocol that we were going to use, and she came up with the protocol within the first week and said, you know, this. What do you think? And we went with that, and that was it. That's all we used, and it worked great. I mean, my patients would recover in two or three days. And, and, and look, we didn't know that right from the start, right? And so we're treating people, and you have to understand it, it's about a timeline, right? When we started yes. testing that first week, we're, we're PPE'd up and masked up and t- you know testing people on their porches because we wanted to take precautions. We didn't know everything, but we learned a lot. That first grouping of patients taught us a lot. The next week we would tell the, you know, the previous, the next group of patients what the previous group saw and then month after month after month. And once you had a couple trends and you saw this and you dealt with thousands of patients, it became very clear that everybody had this. Most people weren't sick from this. Most people were dying from this. And the sickest of the sick, like I said, had a co-infection, but you have to test a appropriately to do that. And we're saying, I had friends asking me, hey, how long do you think this is going to last? And I'm going six months max before they catch up with what we're seeing. This thing lasted almost three years. I mean, that's pretty yeah. sad that we went through the exercise we went through. But again, you know, and that's it's no, you know, it's 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 nothing on you or anybody else that I talk to. I do a lot of interviews, but most people don't know the basics. So if we can kind of get on the same page and figure that out, then you can kind of draw the line and say, well, why did they do this? Was it was it money? Was it Fauci? Was it you know? Was there a formal link to this thing? Um, I think the obvious answer when you see the data is yes. 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 And you know, when you, you also, I know, I think you talk about in your book, you talk about, of course, the virus and, and how testing works, but I think you also talked about vaccinating everyone. And, and, and that's a fascination to me because people ran out immediately to get vaccinated without first checking with their doctor. I know I went to my doctor and I said, look, I know I shouldn't get the vaccine. I have autoimmune issues. I don't, I don't think it's a wise choice for me. And he agreed with me and he was very pro-vax. I just knew that this was not right for me. I knew it was not right for me. And I don't care if you want to get the vaccine, go ahead. But I don't, I didn't want someone telling me I had to. And especially since it hadn't been, I mean, come on, you're, you know, this stuff, shouldn't it, shouldn't, it was like so fast tracked that did we ever do that before? Did we ever offer a vaccine to the masses without it being, having gone through whatever it is that you're in the medical field, you know, all the processes it has to go through before we say, okay, it's good. It's safe. Well, yeah, again, a lot to unpack here, right? So let's, number one, let's stop calling it a vaccine, okay? And I can't stand, when I tell people I haven't been vaxxed either, much like yourself, they start to call you names like anti-vax. Well, yeah. I've had a lot of vaccines in my life. I had hep B not too long ago because I do work in the medical field. Right. I've had a lot of my vaccines. This 
isn't work. This doesn't work like a traditional vaccine. It, it works like a flu shot. Okay, we've used other vaccines that are attenuated, that are viral vector. This is new technology we've never used before, and yet they came out and said this is a vaccine. So when you say that to somebody who's 70, 80, 90 years old, they think inoculation, right? They think long-term immunity, and that's just not the case. So right off the bat, we have some kind of malpractice going on because we're we're marketing this thing to older folks that think that they are going to be immune from getting COVID. And that is not the case. What we see in the long-term data is you get about 120-day antibody response from this, much like the flu shot. But you wouldn't rush out and get four flu shots in one year. And you would also <sighs> get the flu shot before the seasonality of the flu in your area. We wow. weren't treating it like that. So that raises red flags. So that's a little bit to unpack just where we're going down the road. But no, we've never experimented with mRNA technology. I think there's going to be a lot of great use for it in the future, but not one size fits all. Medicine is never one size fits it's all. And that's how we treated this thing. We rushed it to market. We don't have any white paper on it. It's going to be sealed up for years to come. So we didn't even know what's in this. And the doctor like that you mentioned, a lot of these guys shuttered their doors when COVID started and they, they derived their directives from the CDC. Yeah. So when the CDC was telling them what to do, that's where they went for advice. They didn't. It, their best answer at the time should be, I don't know, because if they weren't treating for or testing this thing like we were every day, there's simply a lot of cognitive distortion going on. And by the way, those same doctors who are responsible for reporting it to theirs, uh, if there's an anomaly, they refuse to do so because they're the same ones who were telling you to get this thing in the first place. So think about that. There's a lot of cognitive distortion going on, and it screwed up a lot of people's health. And we're going to be dealing with this for years to come. Yeah, we really are. We're talking to Dr. Michael Schwartz. He's the author of Fauci's Fiction. You can get it on Amazon. Make sure you put in Fauci's Fiction when you do the search. And don't give up. Make sure you get it because some platforms tried to censor him and or censor the book. So in the end, what do you want people to take away with? What do you want them to know? Learn from this experience. Uh, you know, I, it's funny. I, I have people who buy the book for the cover. Uh, the cover is a depiction <laughs> of Dr. Fauci uh, as a Pinocchio doll with a nose coming through a mask. So a lot of people want it as a gift. But, you know, it's funny. I've had some of my, my, my left-leaning friends read the book. And, the, and this is after they were a little nervous to do so because they thought it was a Republican hit piece or something, which it's not. There's not a political narrative in the book. No. They've even called me and said, you know, I learned so much from this. Everybody in the country should read this book. I didn't write it for, you know, myself. I wrote it because I literally had that conversation with thousands of patients until enough of them said you should write a book and i said yeah good idea so i don't have to keep you know explaining this over and over right. and over i mean if you want to know how masks work and why we don't wear them for viruses it's all in there if you want to know about antibodies you want to know what we see from the vaccines my second book will be coming out in uh, june and that one is called vaccine fiction it delves more into the what we're seeing more oh. uh, post vaccine mass vaccinations but you really got to get on the same page with the basis i just want everybody to understand what we saw from the, just the basics and under you will understand COVID in totality it will answer a lot of your questions it will it will make things a lot clearer and it will prepare you for if this were to ever happen again we won't be taken so quickly yeah I really appreciate that you wrote it I, I love that and, and also you include some stories personal experiences those are always good because a lot of us can relate to those but coming from a scientific viewpoint too you really do let us know how they missed the boat on it um, and what our government and even the media kept from us and how unfair that is. I mean, if, if nothing is more sacred than our health, I don't know what is a person, your personal health and well,
well-being. So shame on them for what they did. But kudos to you, though, Dr. Michael Schwartz and your book, Fauci's Fiction. I appreciate what you did and thank you for sharing it. And yeah, we did need to know. Somebody needed to tell us the truth. And that's what you did in this book. Trying our best to get it out, folks. If, uh, you know, I, I hope everybody takes a look at it and has a discussion. And I, I applaud you for continuing to do so, Rose. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you. My pleasure.